Maybe you ought to kind of maybe look for another parking spot or whatever. There'll be some empty parking spots by the time I'm done, okay? So, all right. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we left off at verse number 12. We've been preaching the last two Sundays on the Antichrist and uh, the approaching uh, day of Christ. And I want to say again, I mean, I've had a little feedback over Facebook and so forth about this verse number 2 where it talks about the day of Christ and verse number 3, that day. It is important to understand that there are people trying to make that say that it's the rapture of the church. I'm, I'm a strong believer in the rapture of the church, but the day of Christ is when he comes back and the thousand and establishes his kingdom, defeats the arm of Satan, establishes his reign. And if you don't put that in there, it, it messes up a lot of stuff and it opens the gate for a lot of false doctrine. I'll just leave that at that. Now, let's pick it up. There's something let's go at here. The Apostle Paul is writing a lot of prophecy. He's gotten deep into prophecy, the Antichrist, all kinds of detailed information. Then all of a sudden he flips to something. And watch this. Practicality. You're still here. You've got to wake up tomorrow and go to work. And the Bible's practical. And people in churches need practical uh, teaching and, and, and biblical uh, instruction. I need it. I'm so thankful that I got saved. One of the benefits has been just the practical teaching in every issue and every area of life. And Paul does something here we're going to get into tonight. And that is kind of basically saying, you know what? All this is coming, but you still got to live tomorrow. You still got to pay your light bill. Still got to deal with situations that you're up with. And uh, so that's kind of the attitude when he comes into this. It's those saying is don't be so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good. It's it's no good to talk about, oh, prophecy, 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 and don't pay your bills. Okay? You know. So we're going to look at something that verse number 13, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Big verse, a lot of subjects there, not tying into them. Says what it says, says what it says. Verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, because of these things, he said, stand fast, hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Jesus really went after traditions and stuff. He said, by your traditions, you've made void and vain the word of God. Traditions in and of themselves are not bad as long as they are biblical traditions, biblically based. But when traditions replace the Bible, then they become bad. And that's where the problem occurs is you want to be careful about traditions. Uh, How many has ever seen uh, Fiddler on the Roof? Tradition. And you get set in ways and churches can get in that ways and families. And first thing you know, well, you know, it's a tradition. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. Well, we've always done it this way. And so watch that. But he said, uh, there's nothing wrong. Just remember this. Nothing wrong with tradition as long as it doesn't take you away from the Bible. Verse 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation. Underline that in your Bible. Your consolation, your salvation, your blessing of God in his, in his sacrifice for you and your redemption is an everlasting consolation. Don't let anybody take it away from you. Consolation means a comfort. Uh, because of the truth of the reality of the situation. It's an everlasting consolation. Amen. Amen. And so don't let anybody take that away from you. And good hope. Hope is not wishing. Hope is the well-founded, well-grounded knowing that what God has said he'll do, he'll do. And you can just, you can anchor to it. and It's going to be that way. 
through what? Grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So now he's finished up. Now remember, he's written two books to, these, to this church in Thessalonica. Been under a lot of, they've been in a lot of persecution, a lot of problems, a lot of false doctrine thrown at him. He's trying to line all that out. And then he gets in here and he closes out. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Boy, I tell you what, every preacher ought to say that. Any preacher thinks he doesn't need prayer, he's crazy. Lost his mind, he ain't worth a dime. We live on prayer. This, this whole ministry, this church, this work is founded on prayer, sustained by prayer. I promise you, prayer meeting Wednesday night is our most important service in this whole work. Without prayer, collapses. Everything's gone. We are sustained by the spirit and the power of Almighty God. People who write and contact us and talk about, we're praying for you, Reggie. We're praying for you. Man, I'm telling you what, you know what this church is blessed? We got a lot of people around the world praying for this work right here. You got to be real thankful for that. That is powerful. He said, brethren, pray for us. And here's what he was said to pray for. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. He said, pray that the word of the Lord would have free course. In other words, would go forth freely. Back against the wall, there's 4,507 of these 52 Bible outlines. And this is, I mean, this is Bible doctrine. This isn't Mickey Mouse, you know, stuff. This is the real deal. We're getting, pray about this, okay? Pray that these would have free course. We're going to mail them out to every box, every, uh, 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 what do you call it, Ralph? Uh, resident. resident here in Norwood and as many as we've got left in Mountain Grove, okay? I want you to pray. Special prayer request about this free course of the gospel going out. That Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses would read it and study it in the privacy of their lives and be converted to Jesus Christ and to the truth. Amen. All right? I'm telling you, we need, to pr- we need to saturate this with prayer. Probably what's going to happen, we'll have a Wednesday night here when we'll have the envelopes that these will have to go into. We'll have a big stuffing party. We'll lay out a bunch of tables down the gym, and these will go into envelopes and get ready to mail. And, and, and you're looking at, at $10,000 sitting back there. Well, that, that's a lot of money. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to spend money to reach people. We're going, to, we're going to get the gospel out to people and the truth of God's word out to people. And this is what Paul said that we need to pray for. We need to pray because Satan wants to hinder the work of the Lord getting out to other people. Then he said this in verse number two, that we may be delivered from unreasonable men and wicked men for all men have not faith. And we need to pray for that because there are people who want to stop the work of God. Uh, the Bible says, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. But the devil makes people unreasonable. You can't talk to them. They, they won't reason. They just, it's, they're just, you know, messed up. Anyway, verse number three, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Underlining your Bible, the Lord is faithful. That's the most important thing in the world. If God's not faithful, we're sunk. But God is faithful. And I would encourage you to write somewhere and be thinking, if you don't want to listen to my message tonight, just start thinking about the ways that God is faithful to you. Boy, I tell you what, he's faithful just giving us air to breathe. Amen. Amen. He's faithful to give us food. He's faithful. He's faithful to keep his promises. We could go all night long just preaching on the Lord is faithful. Boy, he's faithful. When I'm not faithful, he's still faithful. And your whole eternity is based upon that truth right there. The Lord is faithful. He don't lie to nobody about nothing. He keeps his word. Well, who shall establish you? And that's one of the goals that you ought to have in going to church and in your Christian life is getting established in the faith and not being blown around by every wind of doctrine. Get established, get rooted, get grounded in the word of God and keep you from evil. Boy, I tell you what, we need to pray that. God, keep me from evil. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
keep us from evil. Verse number four, and we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. He said, I believe there's a, a submissive, obedient spirit to the word of God in your hearts. And this is important. And he appreciated that. Now watch verse number five. And we're getting, I'm going to get to the message here pretty soon, but I like going verse by verse through the Bible. And the Lord directs your hearts. Ooh, underline that. Who's directing your heart? Who's directing my heart? Out of the heart, the issues of life. It's, Christianity is a heart religion. It's not really a religion. I know that, but it's a person, but it deals with the heart. If we believe with the heart. And this phrase here tonight, who's directing your heart? What is directing your Is God's word directing our heart or is our own fleshly you know, thoughts and ideas. What, what's influencing the direction of our heart? And the Lord directs your hearts. Look where it says it directs it to. No, well, hey, get this. Into the law of God. Some of you are not reading your Bible and you didn't get that. <laughs> what do we need to pray that the Lord will direct our hearts to? The love of God. What's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. What will the Holy Spirit do in our lives, if he's allowed free reigning course, he will direct our hearts into the love of God. Promise you. No ifs, ands, or maybes about it. And if we're really growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our hearts are going to be directed into the love of God. And that love of God is manifested in many, many ways. But one of them is we care about other people and where they spend eternity. And I'm going to, I'm going to encourage us tonight here. And I'll encourage myself. You know, preaching, pre- preaching is dangerous. You just get to where, you know, man, I, I got to have a message. I got to preach so forth like that. And, and you can get to where, see that sinner? Jesus said, if we're following him, he'll make us to be fishers of men. If a church loses its focus on reaching people for Jesus Christ, we're in trouble. Yeah. And I tell you, and the, and, and the way you lose your focus on that is getting self-centered about your life. And you forget the people around you are going to spend eternity somewhere. And I want to encourage this church that we'd have a heart for people. I, I'm not trying to be super spiritual, nothing like that. But just the people we're around and God brings in contact. And as a body of believers, we need to have a heart that people need to be reached. And I want to tell you something. My, uh, uh, my wife and somebody else just talking with me and Van was just talking. There's a lot of people moving in this country. There's a lot of great people, saved people moving in this country, but there's also a lot of people who do not know the Lord that are moving in this country. And we need to reach those people. And they may look funny to you, and their license plate may say California, but God still loves them. Amen? (laughs) God still loves them. And if God sent them to this part of the country, it's our job to win them to Jesus Christ. It really is. And he said, and into the patient waiting for Christ. And of course, our brother spoke on that this morning. Then verse number six, now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Now, there's going to be three times, I believe, in this passage of Scripture where the Bible is going to speak about somebody walking disorderly, walking disorderly. And there's so much stuff to preach on here. But keep in mind this business of disorderliness. Now, I'm trying to restrain myself from getting, but he said, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Let me just tell you something. God is a God of order. Remember that. Don't ever forget that. And you better be glad he is or the satellites and the planets and the stars and the moon would be out of whack and we'd all be gone. God is a God of order. He is not the God of confusion. He said this, let everything be done 
decently and in order. We need order in our homes. We need order in our marriages. We need order in, uh, in our homes. We need order in our churches. I'm for liberty and freedom of worship. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But liberty is not disorder. Liberty is not disorder. There has to be order. And let me just tell you about a lot of this socialism and communistic stuff that we're seeing. They they promote disorder. You think about BLM, Antifa, all that stuff. What are they going after? Disorder. And God says, you want to watch this thing of disorder. Now he says, uh, he says, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Okay. Now, he's, he's making a big issue about this disorder. Now, watch verse number eight. He's getting into the practicality of Christian living. Last Sunday morning in Bible class, we talked about the fact in Romans chapter four, and he used Abraham and David as examples of the imputation of righteousness without works. Then we took and went to James chapter two, where it said that faith without works is dead. Okay. And we try to rightly divide the word of truth and balance the word of God. And we said in James, it's what people are seeing that's going to convince them of your faith. God sees the heart and he knows, and we're saved by grace through faith without works. I just got to stop a second. This couple back here, you're celebrating your first anniversary. I just heard, is that correct? Well, I want to congratulate you and say happy anniversary. Would you just give them a hand of welcome tonight? Happy anniversary to you guys. And they're, they're from North, North Carolina, right? And, and you can't help that, right? <laughs> you can't help where you're born. And we're, we're just glad you're here. And I want to wish you all a happy anniversary. I forgot all about that. I have to unhook my messages once in a while. And these folks in Georgia, they've been such a blessing. And boy, me and him is going to get in the ammo business in the morning. Hey, Amen. We're going to get nine M's and two, two, threes. And <laughs> boy, we're going to... We're going to have fun. Anyway, it's so good to have visitors, and we want to encourage you in the Lord. Now, where was I at? Paul, yes, sir, Brother Paul. Yes. Sister Connie, do we have any available? Break open one of those boxes if we have to. Get, flag your hand, please. Get with her. She'll fix you up. Anybody needs one. And by the way, if you go to church here and don't have one, we'll get you one, okay? And we'll, we'll, we'll keep making them. We'll keep making them, but we'll get you some, all right? Get you fixed up. Okay, let's get back in there. <laughs> Verse number eight. Now, he, remember, he's talked about being disorderly. He comes into verse number eight and says, he said, I didn't behave myself disorderly among you. Now, watch verse eight. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. Now, in case you don't know what naught means, that means nothing. We didn't eat people's bread for nothing. Now get a hold of this. We're getting ready to get into something tonight that needs to be gotten into in America. But wrought with labor and travail, night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Now, there's nothing worse than, there's one thing worse than a lazy person. And that's a person who brags about how much they work. Amen. <laughs> Trying to make everybody else think that they work better more than anybody else, okay? Mm-hmm. And I preface this by saying this, and this just happened. I, I wasn't planning, because I'll be honest with you, until about 4 o'clock this afternoon, didn't know for sure what I was going to preach. But yesterday I was out with a, a, a man I hired to come and cut trees. And we cut about 24 big old tall trees yesterday. And I don't know if you've ever done but that's work. And I mean, and you got to know what you're doing. And this guy, the reason I had him come, because these were big trees, tall trees, and so forth. And I knew he knew, he cuts a triangle. I mean, he, he's a professional, and he knows how to put them down. 
He can put, you know, put a tree where he wants to. We'd cut about 15, 16 trees, and he wanted to know if I wanted him to top them and limb them. I said, no. I said, you just keep cutting. I was trying to get my money's worth out of him, see? <laughs> I said, I'll come in behind you with my chainsaw, and I will limb them, and I'll top them. And that, inside of that, I kind of wanted to look at you know, so, so we're going down through there, and we, he stops. He said, I want to take a little bit of break, because he had had one or two trees. That, I mean, one tree just stood there, like it wasn't going to go like he wanted it, and it just kept standing there, and I could see the sweat popping out on him, and you know, it's just, it's, it's a, I mean, he just was a pallbearer to a 19-year-old man who was crushed by a tree last week, or a week before last. So, I mean, this stuff, he talked to me about when he first got there. He said, he, they, they literally, this guy, the guy, boy that was killed uh, was, a, was a tree cutter, and they had, the, the pallbearers carried their chainsaws as they carried the, as they carried the casket. And so, we're not talking about somebody who doesn't understand the danger of, Literally, I'll just tell you about how God protects. He was like from, from here at the wall for me, working, and I'm working, and I'm topping the tree that he'd cut down, and I felt a breeze behind me. And I turned around just as a great big limb had fell out of a tree. It's called the Widowmakers. It come down out of a tree and fell right down behind. The breeze I felt was that big old limb coming down out of that tree. If it had been over two feet, it just knocked me loose. And I just said... The angel of the Lord campeth around about the stupid. <laughs> no, but but in, I, don't, I don't know why I say stuff like that, but he stopped and wanted to break. He said, he said, you know, he said, you know what amazes me about you? I said, I ain't got a clue what might amaze you about me. He says, you're a preacher and you work. <laughs> Now, why did he say that? Because the devil likes to put out, and I'll be honest, I've known a lot of preachers in my life, and most of them work. They work hard. I know there's some bums out there. I understand that. But the devil likes to paint preachers out as lazy hounds. And I'm sure there's plenty of them. But they're not all that way, especially in this part of the country. Most pastors and preachers in this country worked a job or a business, whatever, while they pastored churches. That's just the nature of this area of the country. And uh, that's why I'm not too wild about somebody who thinks that if, you, if, you, if you're well, in full-time, if you're in full-time ministry, I'm glad for you. Anyway, he comes down there and says that we might not be charged. But he said, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves example unto you that follow us. Now, Paul in another epistle talks about the fact that the, the ox treadeth out the corn, right? You let him eat. And he takes that back out of the Old Testament and he says, if you're laboring among people, you have a, there, there's a right to eat out of your labors because pastoring or preaching or the ministry is laboring the Lord. Paul said, not because I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have maybe not worked and made tents and so forth. But he said, I, I didn't want to be chargeable. He said, to make ourselves an example. So what do you get out of that? Be an example in working. Be an example in not being a lazy hound dog. Be an example of get your pajamas off of, off of you. Turn off the TV. Get your little uh, 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 house shoes off. Put up the potato chips. And get out and work. Now I want to preach tonight on what used to be called the Protestant, the benefit and value of the Protestant work ethic which was actually should have been called the biblical work ethic and how it affects your life every day and how it affects your life here in America and really what's going on by the violation of this biblical 
a violation of this biblical pr principle of a work ethic. Okay? He said, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded that, and underline this in your Bible, if any would not work, neither should he eat. This one phrase would fix America. Yeah. It would fix this country. <laughs> now your Bible says, I don't care what your Democrat friend says, <laughs> and your rhino friend says. God's word says that if you won't work, you should not eat. Hunger fixes laziness. <laughs> and in the Old Testament, God's program was for people that were poor. And by the way, it's good for you to go through stages of poverty so that you can understand and have sympathy with people who are going through a hard time. If you've always had it good and you've never lacked and you've never went through a hard time, you have no clue about what other people are going through. You have no clue what it means to get up and have a bill you can't pay or a child that needs you, whatever it is. You don't, you don't know. It's good for you and I to go. It's, it's good for me that I've been afflicted, David said, that I might know the statutes of the Lord. And it's hard to have compassion on people if you've never walked in their shoes. If you've never had a hospital bill you couldn't pay or a dental bill you couldn't pay, it's hard to know uh, what other people are going through. And uh, Paul said, if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, this is the basis of what used to be called the Protestant work ethic. It actually should be called the biblical work ethic. Look at verse number 11. For we hear that there are some, that there are some which walk among you. Watch this. Here's this third time this is mentioned, disorderly. So, what's it, so now you're going to find out what disorderliness meant. Working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, what's a busybody? If you want to write this down, there's two other references in the Bible on busybody. One's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, uh, then the other one, I think, is uh, Colossians chapter 3. But anyway, I may get to those later. But are busybodies. Now then, which are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat somebody else's bread. <laughs> eat their own bread. What's this? But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count he not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You know what God says? You aren't working. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And if you won't work, he said, I'll tell you what, don't hang around that lazy dog. You might learn his ways. Now we're going to talk about this. Uh, one of Satan's key ways to destroy a person, individual, or a family, or a generation, and a nation is to destroy the biblical work ethic. And that's really what's going on in America right now is the destruction of the biblical work ethic, which some people might call free enterprise or capitalism. Okay? Now, let me give you this. The reason that there was a book written by a German guy about the Protestant work ethic was this. During the dark ages, the thousand-year dark ages, when the Catholic Church basically controlled uh, uh, the modern world, what they considered to be the modern world, people lived in darkness. There was, uh, there was always want. There was never enough. And, 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 and there was no advancement in technology, industry, or anything of that nature. I mean, people literally, for a thousand years, there was no advancement. Then you had something called the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther jumped out and, and broke out of the Catholic Church and said, the just shall live by faith, not by saying Hail Mary. Okay? And when he did that, 
as he read the Bible and got the common people reading the Bible, people figured out that, you know what, there's something in the Bible. It's called personal property rights. There's certain things in the Bible called rights that God gave us, not that governments give us. And this is the foundation of what you know as American freedom, okay? And when you own your own home, people didn't always do that. You lived on the vassal. You lived on the, you lived on the, the moat. You, you lived in the vassal. But what happened now, this biblical work ethic, this knowledge of the Bible became a, a free enterprise, personal property rights, and a, oh, a nasty word called profit. Yeah. Let me tell you why. You know, let me give you this. And one of the reasons this is re- relevant, is it relevant or relevant? Relevant. Okay. And the epibolies don't, we always, don't always get it right. But can, Here's what happened. Right now, you go to some store, and they're, they're, are they not saying there's going to be a shortage of a lot of stuff this winter? Yeah. I don't know whether it will be or not, but I can tell you one thing. I'm around a little bit and, and to, to get computer chips for trucks, yeah. to get steel, to get almost any product right now. They claim they're setting on ships off the, of the coast. I don't know about all this, but I know one thing, that we had to run on toilet paper of all things. And they're saying that there's going to be this, all these shortages. Let me tell you about shortages and stuff. That socialistic, communistic stuff, one of the ways that they control people is by making shortages. And one of the ways they make shortages is to destroy capitalism and free enterprise and profit and make it and get a country where they're so stinking lazy. They want every Chinese to make everything for them, Taiwanese to make everything for them. And the next thing you know, we don't have the resources within here to take care of our own selves. And we're, catch, we're getting in a catch-22 situation because of the lazy, arrogant, prideful attitude of America that we don't want to do the hard work anymore. Watch this now. It, it, yeah, I'm against illegal immigration. I'm not against illegals working if they're, under the, if they're under a legal system. But did you know you can't hardly get anybody to go pick beans? I mean, you like to reach on that shelf and get a can of green beans, but there's not very many American people who want to go out in the field and plant or, or pick green beans or pick the strawberries or pick the watermelons. And a lot of the Mexicans are coming up, right? Your Hispanic people, they're coming up and they're glad to work like that so they can get a job, so they can have money, so they can do, do stuff that Americans do. And they see that stuff. That's, that's why you're, why, why do these Haitians want to come in? Why all these people want to come in? Because they want the prosperity and the freedom and the blessings of America, but most of them don't understand the basis of it, but we're forgetting the basis of it ourselves. Yeah. Now, in, now, here's what the Bible said in Genesis 3:19: In the sweat of thy brow, you make your living. In the sweat. And people forget. I'm going to tell you, sweat's good for you. Yeah. Sweating's good for you. It gets that toxic out of you. And uh, anyway... So there's this key of Satan to destroy a nation by that. Watch this. In Ezekiel 16, 49, the sin of Sodom was this. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. Laziness. Where do you, where do you, what do you think these Antifas and BLMs are doing during the day? They're sitting around the house in their pajamas. Planning what they're going to, where they're going to tear up next. Then it says this, watch this. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. A lot of people leave this out. Now watch what your Bible says. That Sodom and Gomorrah 
would not strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. What are you doing when you strengthen the hand of the poor and needy? You are equipping them to be able to make a living themselves. This fits Leviticus 19, where the Bible said that you're to leave the corners of your field for the poor and the stranger to eat out of, but you didn't go pick it for them. When Ruth came in the country as a poor widow, they did not pick the corn and the barley and so forth for her. She had to go out and glean handfuls herself. God's sister and way of taking care of the poor and needy is to strengthen their hand and, and to leave them the dignity of having made their own living and not to set them up on all kinds of welfare programs and government handout deals and make bums out of them. Yeah. This country is being destroyed because of a departure from a biblical work ethic. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 33, if you guys can get that up. Watch what Paul said in Acts chapter 20. Watch this. I have cut to no man's silver or gold or apparel. Woo! I, I can't say that. I'm sorry. I wished I could. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. One of the reasons God wants you and I to work and to save and accumulate is not that we can get all we can and can all we get and sit on the can, but so that we can be a blessing to help other people. That's part of the purpose. If God gives you beyond your needs, it's to help other people. Now, let's go to Proverbs. We're going to be looking tonight. Now, I'm going to give you a quote and when I get done, I'm going to ask you who said this. <clears throat> we have deluded ourselves into believing the myth of capitalism. The myth that capitalism grew and prospered out of the Protestant ethic of hard work and sacrifice. The fact is that capitalism was built on the exploitation and sufferings of black slaves and continues to thrive, capitalism and free enterprise, on the exploitation of the poor, both black and white, here and abroad. Tell me who said that. Before I tell you who said that, does that not sound like it comes right out of the CRT playbook, the critical race theory playbook? Yep. I'm going to give it to you again. We have deluded ourselves into believing the myth of capitalism that the myth of capitalism grew, first of all, it calls capitalism a myth. That it grew and prospered out of the Protestant ethic of hard work and sacrifice. The fact is that capitalism was built on the exploitation and suffering of black slaves and continues to thrive on the exploitation of the poor, both black and white, here and abroad. Now, what does he believe? What does he believe? What would you think that guy's social, economic, and religious system would be? Give me your thoughts. He's a Marxist. Would you think that? I mean, if you're that anti-capitalism, if you hate capitalism, you say that kind of thing, you're a socialist at the best, communist Marxist at, at the worst. Guess who said that? Martin Luther King. 
Martin Luther King is a false prophet. And all you black guys, listen to me. Don't waste your breath telling me nothing until you show me a message that Martin Luther King preached about the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, how he died for our sins on the cross, was buried and rose again. Don't give me your garbage about Martin Luther King. We have exalted him. He's a socialist Marxist and exalted him as an example. And this is where your critical race theory comes from, is a Marxist. You never heard Martin Luther King preach a gospel message about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. And if you can find one, send it to me, CD, I'll listen to it. Don't send it in whatever else stuff because I don't know how to run it. <laughs> That's right out of the, of the socialistic CRT playbook. I want to tell Martin Luther King and all the rest of you socialists something. In my lineage of grandpas and grandpas on both sides of my family, not one black person plowed their corn, not one black person plowed their fields, not one black person raised their garden and planted their garden and canned their garden, not one black person put up their hay, not one black person milked their cows. Are you listening to me? I am sick to death of this garbage of victim. There was 5% of the southern people in the Confederacy that owned slaves. 95% of them didn't own a slave, and they weren't fighting about that. They were fighting for states' rights. And what you've got is a bunch of communists come in. You see what he's doing there? Now he said it was built on uh, on the backs of black slaves. America was not built on the back of black slaves. Now, if you don't like that, find you another church. Find you another preacher. Was there exploitation? You bet. Nobody's been against slavery more than I hate slavery. You think slavery's all right? Try it for five years. Come be mine. I'll make you wish you'd never heard of it. (laughs) Slavery's horrible. But God allows slavery as judgment upon people. we got slaves all over America. Slaves to liquor, slaves to beer, slaves to drugs, slaves to sex, slaves to everything in this country. Slavery's not new. Slavery's a product of sin. I don't like somebody telling me that my grandfather's... I tell you, I never seen him down there on Dry Creek buying a mule. Did you, Danny? I never seen him come out in the middle of Hayfield, Brother Jerry, and help me haul hay. Amen. Let's quit this lie. Let's get honest about it. Yeah. Amen. 95% of the people in the South did not own slaves. So you're going to take 5% to did and you're going to blanket the whole country. I know some of you ain't got guts to say this to somebody in private, much less get up behind the pulpit and say it, and I don't care. Amen. I'm sick of it. When that's a quote, you can get that. You can get that. That's Martin Luther's quote. He's a socialist. He's the worst thing that ever happened to black people in this country. He's made them victimized. Everybody owes them a living. And now it's spread through the white population. And they're trying to poison the Hispanics. Hispanics have a good work ethic. Most of them come up here. I've been down south where they're at. I'm going to tell you something. You don't see any little white, white boys that, that they got a, a bit of dirt under their fingernails. You'll see a bunch of Hispanics out there laying brick and pouring concrete, working their guts out, sweating like a hog. But I'm telling you something down there in the south. You know, they're, they're glad to have some work so they can have a car and have a pickup truck and have a house what they couldn't have in Mexico. 
I ain't mad at nobody, but I'm going to tell you something. You enjoy all the stuff that you can buy off your grocery store shelves and, go, and enjoy the, what we have in America. It's because of a biblical work ethic. And you're not going to continue that by making people feel sorry for themselves and putting them on government programs. What do you think all these gangs and all that stuff makes me sick? Well, and I'm going to say this again. All you black and white liberals and communists and socialists, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Don't tell me what my ancestors did. You didn't build the fences down here. You didn't plow the fields up. You didn't milk the cows. You didn't put up the hay. You didn't put up the beans. You didn't put up the corn. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Amen. I'm tired of it. I don't know you nothing except the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't want that. Amen. I tell you, if I was a black boy in Chicago, you know what I'd do? I told Brother Marcus this morning, I said, I'd throw a knapsack over my shoulder and walk straight out of that hell hole. If I had to walk I-70, I'd with clothes on my back and, get, and, and stop at the first house that looked like it might be somebody halfway decent and say, can I mow your yard till I can get somewhere else? Yep. Yep. I'm telling you something. You don't have to live like that. Right. You don't have to live like that. Right. This town here, all kinds of lazy hounds in it. Getting government checks. Hang on to your seat now. I'm not against helping people. I'm for helping people. Let me just say, first of all, if you're a veteran and you served our country, I believe we owe you something. Because many of you took the best years of your life in service to our country and went to places and did places and stayed places nobody in the world would want to do and was away from your family. And I believe we owe that as a cultural society, I believe we owe our best something. Yeah. But I'll tell you what I don't believe. I don't believe we owe you disability because you talked some doctor into saying you had a bad headache. I'll tell you what you, we got in this country. We got a bunch of lawyers who are hooked up with a bunch of doctors yeah, yeah. who've learned how to milk the social security system. Woo! We're having a good time at church tonight, amen. And you're blood sucking this country. You're getting your check. You've got your hat curled down and stick inside your mailbox every week. And you're eating somebody else's bread. Amen. amen. Yes, sir. I got to go watch Bonanza. It's about. <laughs> Start on there, boy, you're already there. Proverbs 26, 16. We're going to look at a bunch of stuff tonight. You say, Reggie, what's the thrust of your message? Get to work. Amen. Don't buy into this liberal, communistic, socialistic deal of bleeding this country. Somebody is paying the bill. And I'll tell you who's doing it. It's the working people in this country that are paying taxes or they're just going to print the money and your money's not going to be worth nothing. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. If you're lazy, you got seven reasons why you can't get out and go to work. Just keep trucking, guys. He said, thy poverty shall come at one that travaileth, and thy want is an armed man. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. Look what it says here. Going up there, boys. Uh, uh, there you go. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Boy, it's just too cold out today. Yeah. Now it's too hot. Yeah. It's gonna, it might rain pretty soon. 
You got every reason in the world why you ain't going to work. Yeah. Look at that. The sluggard will not plow, but reason, therefore he shall beg and harvest and have nothing. Go ahead, guys. I don't even know where we're at. <laughs> Do you have the same list I got? <laughs> Proverbs 12, verse number 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. You look around America now, and the average picture of the American male is he's in a pair of pajamas with a pair of house shoes on. Looks like he ain't been in the sunshine for six months. And they're destroying male masculinity in this country. And Brother Paul just showed me Hallmark is putting out a deal this, this winter of, of men in dresses. Oh, they're a family pretty. Old. No, they're a bunch of queer. Li- I mean, they. Watch this, you deer hunters. The slothful man roasted not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. You kill that deer and leave him out there, you're sorry, low down. Some of you northerners still ain't got to hold that sorry, low down. That means sorry, low down is what that means. In the Greek, it means sorry, low down, amen. <laughs> In the Hebrew, it means sorry, sorry, low down, low down. <laughs> Proverbs chapter. I don't don't like this verse here. Uh I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, his bathroom tub needed to be fixed. And lo, the the siding of his house needed to be replaced. Uh Boy, I tell you what, I about didn't preach this whole message over this tonight. Yeah. I've got things in my house that needs to be done for years. <laughs> my wife, she's just, she's almost ready to say, hallelujah, look, she finally preached something I like. I can, say, I can see the joy in your face, Karen, you love me. She said, he's finally preaching on something, amen. God says, he went, he said, I went by the field of the slothful, the venue of the man born of understanding, Lord, is all grown up with thorns and nettles and covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. And I saw and considered it well and looked upon it and received instruction. The Bible said, a slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom, will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Just keep trucking. He that is slothful in his work is brother to him as a great waster. I'm going to tell you something tonight. <laughs> I'm just going to rabbit trail until the cows come home. But I'm, tell you, I'm glad you've got enough money that you, don't need, that you can just tear up everything you drive. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're that wealthy. You can just tear up everything you touch. Amen. I'm glad you can just tear it up because you're just going to mom and daddy buy a new one. I'm glad you can waste everything. I'm glad you kids feel like you can just ha- eat half what's on your plate. When there's people in other countries digging through the salvage things for something to eat. Yep. Yep. I'm, glad you th- I'm glad you think you don't have to take back where, what you borrowed. I'm glad you think you don't have to put back. Uh, <laughs> as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them to send him. You send somebody to work as a sluggard. <laughs> Don't you just love it? My father-in-law used to say, I'm not going to pay you and me do me and your work both. Amen. He's all the time talking about somebody come wanting a job. Yeah, I'll give you a job. He'd give you a job just like that. You know, and he said, but one day of me doing both your work and my work and me paying you for doing nothing at the end of that deal. Christian people ought to go do their job right as unto the Lord and not unto men. Not, as, not with eye service. Is the boss watching? Yeah. 
Am I impressing the boss? But as unto the Lord. Amen. That'll change your whole life. The lost, lost man said, there's a line with that. I shall be slain in the streets. If I go to work today, I might, somebody might hit me. Oh, it's something out there you got to be afraid of because you just can't go to work. Oh, I love this one here as the door turneth upon the hinges, so does the slothful upon his bed. Love that snooze button. Turn, 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 turn. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Now, here's the connection. There's a connection between being slothful and lazy and poverty. It's not, it's not the complete connection, but God says it'll happen. Immorality brings poverty. Okay? Where are we at, guys? Love sleep. Love not sleep. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Most of some of you in here can get this, and I know some of you can rate my, my grandpa Kelly Rose has 15 kids. Okay? Their garden, their garden was would take in bigger bigger than this church building right here. My my mom has told me about how he and, and she talked about how he taught them how to put up their most of us, I don't I'm sorry, I, I said that, I wished I knew, but she taught how he would dig dig an embankment in the bank for the potatoes to store them in and put straw down and put potatoes, put straw down and put potatoes, and said we always had potatoes, we always had apples to give all the neighbors during the depression. My mom, when I was, I'm honest with you, when I was a boy, Perry, how many knows what a Perry knife is? I don't tell you what, how many's ever had, had, got blisters and calluses with a Perry knife? My mama thought, I, I mean, I used to beg God to give me sisters. <laughs> oh, God, send me some sisters. I was a fourth boy in line. The reason Van's no good, he came along after all the work was done. And, <laughs> boy, he's not in here now. <laughs> But I'll tell you this honest truth. Danny, I know it's not way down at your house. From the time spring started, we had Perry knife was a hit, and we were sitting in the kitchen and out on the back porch. We had, I mean, she canned everything coming down the right. I mean, if she heard there's blackberries on the place over there, we all went blackberry picking. Now, I'll tell you something. Blackberry picking and copperheads, I, I'm going to tell you something. But, I mean, it was good. How many's ever, how many's ever ate gooseberry cobbler? Well, some of you have lived. My mama could make a gooseberry cobbler. I mean, absolutely make your mouth tingle. Yeah. And then she'd make gooseberry jam and gooseberry jelly. And I'm talking about good stuff. Everything out there in the woods and the peel fields and the pastures, she knew how to make everything out of it. Yeah. And I'm telling you, plant that garden. And you know what? She, she'd give me a row to start on. And, and this, two days later, I'd come out the other end of that row. Pulling <laughs> 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 weeds and stuff like that. Well, mama, I'm lying. You know, it's, but I'm serious with you. I mean, we planted a huge, huge garden, huge garden. And, and I'm just saying, one of the things, my, 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 I, I'll, I'll give you ladies, I said this before, but it's honest truth. My little brother Van over here, I say little brother, I'm going to tell you what, when they brought him home, man, I thought the sun was setting rise on him. I've learned different since. But no, boy, I tell you what, he was, he was, he was a blessing. Always has been a blessing. But my mama had this great big garden. My little brother was out in the garage one day playing. And bad deal, but my dad had one of them old refrigerators that locked. He stored his motor oil in there and stuff. And my mom was out in the garden working. She come back to the house and she heard a muffled cry. 
And she said she stopped. She heard that muffled cry. And she said somehow or another instantly I knew what it was. She ran straight down that old garage, ran in there, and he would locked himself. My van sitting right there had locked himself as a two-year-old boy inside that refrigerator and was suffocating to death. I've always said this. If my mother had been sitting in there watching as the world spins and vomits and turns and pukes, my little brother would have died, and what would have I missed in my life and this church missed and Camp Joy would have missed? Yeah. Because she was working, because she's out in the garden, she heard that muffled boy. I want to tell you something. I believe with all my heart that the devil wanted to take Van out. Yeah. I believe that. She had, she, had, she had been in the garden. She hadn't been in the garden. She'd been in the house. Wouldn't, wouldn't have been. If we got any more verses, go, yea, a little sleep, a little slumber, folding the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travels. We're going down through these boys. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard, when thou rise out of thy sleep? A little sleep, sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands sleep. So shall thy poverty come. Let me tell you about slothfulness and stuff that can come gradually, gradually upon you. Let me just tell you, there's a difference between being disabled, honestly, and sick, and I'm getting older. I can't, I jump, listen, I jumped off a tractor yesterday, and I'm not joking you. I land on my left foot, and boy, something inside my knee said, don't ever do that again. That's the honest truth. That things are changing for Reggie. <laughs> you know, but I tell you what, I always want to, I always want to be able to go out and do something. I want to do something. Yeah. I'll tell you what, my, my, my mind needs to be physical work, amen? It's good for you to physically work with your mind. Um, he that gathers in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. I want to say something tonight. You get over in the, in the book of Timothy, it talks about widows. You may not like this. This church, and we ought to do it soon. Amen. We ought to do it here pretty quick. This church for years, one to two times, most of the time, a couple times a year, we'll take... The offering comes in, we give it all to the widows and split it between them. The Bible is very, very picky about helping widows and the fatherless, okay? But I'm going to say something. The Bible also says that if that widow has children or nephews and nieces, they ought to take care of her. Absolutely. And I think it's a stinking shame that we've got widows in this church whose own children don't take care of them. Yeah. You can take that smoke in your pipe tonight. Yeah. You ought to be ashamed if you're not taking care of your widowed mother. Yes, sir. Anyway, as I said, we need to develop a work ethic. There's a lot of other scriptures and so forth, but don't brag about it. Now I'm going to give you some practical advice, okay? I don't know whether this is preaching or what. Number one, about this thing of disorderliness, clean up around your house. Not staying clean will cost you productivity. That's right. The old timers used to say cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in your Bible, but the principle is in your Bible. Yes. And there's a cleanliness. If you keep things clean, there's a lot of things comes with that. Besides, you know, the, uh, the uh, health benefits of it. Declutter. Clean and then declutter. Clutter is killing most people's productivity. How many knows where your claw hammer's at? I don't. You know why I don't know? My boys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. I'll tell you one thing. If all the tools they planted on our farm ever come up, Danny, I'm going to have a crop of craftsman tools like nobody's business. <laughs> no, uh, seriously. You know where they got that from? For me. You know, what, you know what they got not putting it back where it was from? Because they got it from dad. They saw dad leave it where he was using it at. 
I'm just going to take. The, I'm, going to, I'm going to say the truth about it. But I'm going to tell you about decluttering. I went through a time of depression from about 2003 to 2011. About two, no, I'm sorry, 2009. About six years. I went through a time of depression. I never knew what depression was till then. I actually was rough on people who were who had depression. I didn't understand it. I just felt like you know, well, you just straighten up and get get right with God and you know, be happy. And I went through that. I literally got to where I didn't want to do anything on the farm. I didn't want to pick anything up. I didn't want to clean anything up. I didn't want to go out and fix a fence. I didn't want to do anything. And I don't know what happened, but one day I got up and I, I, I just walked out in the yard and I looked over toward my shop and it was an absolute horrible mess. And there was stuff that accumulated in there for all those years. And I just walked over and there just something clicked inside me and I just started pulling stuff out of the shop and I'd pull it out in the driveway and I'd lay stuff here and I'd lay, I started organizing. This is going to be thrown away. This is going to go to scrap. This needs to be sorted. This needs to be done. And I did that. And I'm going to tell you something. It, I, God, it changed everything. Declutter is so important. Mow the grass. Pick up the boards. Pick up the tent. I'm just giving you some honest truth. You'll feel better about life. You will feel better. And I'm not getting on to anybody because I'll tell you, I've been through a time when I didn't care if the gate broke down. I didn't care if, if the grass was mowed. And it's a sad situation. And be easy on those people because you don't know what they're going through. But I want to encourage you, if you'll force yourself to say, you know what? I'm going to do today what God gave me to do today. And it may not seem like very much, but I tell you, if we're faithful in that which is least, Amen. God says to be faithful in that. He'll give us more stuff to be faithful on. And the other thing is about is organize. Put stuff where it needs to be with stuff together. These are part of the biblical work ethic that made people. When you go into Walmart, how would you like for Walmart to run their store like you run your house? You couldn't find anything. <laughs> Does anybody know where the beans are at? Ah, they're one of them five aisles over there somewhere. Organization is what makes them successful or not successful. They have to know what they've got, where it's at, how much they've got left, how, and what they need to do. I am telling you, in your shop, in your house, in your kitchen, in your home, in your business, in businesses, disorder and clutter are killing businesses everywhere. There's more opportunity out here right now for a man who wants to have a work ethic and who will just start and say, I'm going to organize and I'm going to declutter and I'm going to see what I've got. And by the way, who owns your hammer? God. And he wants us to take care of and be organized. And he says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Ant hills are one of the most organized things you've ever seen in your life, if you could really see down inside what's going on. Now, I'm going to close up with this. <laughs> Boy, this has been a while, one, ain't it? You mind verse number 11. Let's go to verse number 11. Working not at all, but are busybodies. What's a busybody? <laughs> Somebody's got that figured out. <laughs> They're in everybody else's business. You ever, you ever meet somebody and they go, oh, how you doing? What you been doing? Where was you at last week? How's your family doing? How's your little brother doing? How's your mother? Where are you working at now? They ask you 42 questions before you answer the first one. <laughs> And then when they leave you, they go and say, you know, I was talking to him. He told me, man, they're having all kinds of trouble, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, FBI, FBI agent. I want to tell you something. Did you know that your business is not my business? 
I'm going to be honest with you. You know what a lot of pastors' failures are? They want to know everybody's business in yeah, church. I don't right. want to know your business. Yeah. Yeah. You and your wife's fighting? I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Fight it out. Come back to church next Sunday. Amen? <laughs> You've heard that story, hadn't you, about the guy, the, 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 the guy he, said, I, he said, the preacher went to their house, you know, and he started to knock on the door, and he just heard pans flying and glass breaking, and they was hollering at each other, and he thought, man, this ain't time. So the preacher just left. Well, he seen the old boy next week, and the old boy had a black eye. And he said, I, I was at your house, and he said, I heard everything going on. And, and he said, I, how'd that all turn out? Oh, he said, it turned out great. Said, for his old wish, said, she's coming to me on her hands and knees. He said, really? He said, how was that? He said, well, he said, I was underneath the bed, and she kept saying, come out from underneath there. <laughs> <laughs> you little coward. I'll tell you something. When your wife got you uh, hiding underneath the bed, you're in bad trouble, amen. <laughs> That's pastoring, amen. <laughs> I don't want to know your business. That's right. Your business, your business. And, and if you're one of them people that comes up and you've got 13 questions before they can say hi... You need to change the way you operate. Yeah. Amen. You know what my dad said? If everybody knows your business, you ain't going to have no business. Amen. You're exactly, that's exactly right. Amen. And it talks about busybodies here. And it talks about over in Timothy that you should go from house to house. House to house. Busybodies. Yeah. You know what kills churches? Busybodies. Yeah. Right. You know, if you was working hard enough, you'd just be glad to get here. Yeah. Yeah. Get to work. Come into church. What are you doing? How much money did you make? What you got? Busybody. I'm trying to think what to say about busybodies, and I'm having a hard time saying about busybodies. But we need to just take care of our own businesses. Amen. You know, we're you and I are not the prosecuting attorney, and I'm not on the witness stand. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Boy, oh boy, I think we better go home. <laughs> if you want to get an amen out of Don's end, just say, I'm going to keep this short tonight. Amen. <laughs> you old busybody. Yeah. Besides that, if he'd ever quit being lazy, he just sits there. You know what he does? He's he got a five gallon can now. He sits there and tells them all what to do. I want to tell you something. If we want to be a happy people, let's be a working people. Amen? Amen. You know, when you say, Reggie, I'll tell you what, I'm not able to do what I used to could do. Well, do what you can. Yes. Get out and do what you can. Enjoy yep. yourself and get out and you know, work what you can. It don't mean we're all, we're all facing that. Yep. But I'll tell you what, right here, getting out and working yeah. will help keep this thing Amen. from going Amen. crazy on you. Too many people sitting around. Yeah. And the old timers used to say what? An idle mind. Devil's workshop. It's the truth. Well, let's stand. I'll tell you what, I guess I better quit while I'm ahead.